Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Marini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. As world leaders gathered in London for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, the focus was naturally on the British royal family. It seems in their efforts to add a veneer of royalty to their coverage, outlets like CNN and BBC made a move that has prompted a sharp reaction in the Greek world. They featured the son of Greece's former king, even referring to him as Crown Prince. Professor Alexander Kitroev, a professor of history at Haverford College who has written extensively on the history of Greece and the Greek diaspora, joins me to explain why this move by outlets like CNN and BBC is problematic. We also explore the troubled history of the former royal family in Greece, an institution that was abolished in 1974 as Greece embraced a new democratic future. Professor Kitroev, great to have you back on The Greek Current. Happy to be with you again, Thano. Professor, why has this decision by leading outlets like CNN and BBC to feature the son of Greece's former king to their program and refer to him as Crown Prince rightfully caused such a backlash? Well, the backlash is for two reasons. As everyone knows, the Greek monarchy was abolished with a democratically held referendum in 1974, and it was replaced by the Hellenic Republic. So no member of what was at that moment the Greek royal family has any right to continue calling themselves king, queen, prince, princess. It would be okay, I guess, to describe themselves as former king, former queen, etc. But there's a bigger picture here that I think is driving a lot of the uh, resentment. It's really an insult to what the Greek people had decided in 1974. The monarchy is associated with a democratic system in Greece which was deficient. It didn't work partly because of the role the monarchy played. The abolition of the monarchy is associated with a very sturdy democracy that has lasted 50 years, has gone through a number of crises and remained strong. So this assumption that someone can call themselves crown prince is not only wrong, but also is seen as an insult and a rebuke to what exists in Greece, which is a democratic functioning system. Since Greek independence, Greeks have exiled their monarchs. They've shifted from a constitutional monarchy to a republic a few times before finally, as you mentioned, voting to end the institution altogether. Can you walk us through this troubled history that Greece has had with the former royal family? Troubled history is almost an understatement. And I think even colleagues of mine, professional historians, have to check their notes because of the continuous ups and downs that the Greek royals have experienced. King Otto, as everyone knows, came after the Greek Revolution of 1821 and lasted until the 1860s. He was dismissed because of his authoritarian tendencies and was replaced by George I, a Danish prince of the House of Glucksburg, and it is George I's descendants who have replaced them and have been the Greek royal family up to 1974. George I, if one can talk about one king who conducted himself in a way that contributed to establishing and running a democracy in Greece, George I is the one. There was some interference with politics, but not very much. He played a role of head of state. Trouble started with his firstborn son, Constantine I. We replaced him in 1913 when George I was assassinated by an unstable person in Thessaloniki. Constantine I 
clashed with Eleftherios Venizelos in 1915 over Greece's orientation and choices and alliances with respect to World War I. And with Allied pressure, he was forced to step down in uh, 1917, and he was replaced by his son Alexander. Alexander had a very short reign because he had this freak accident in the palace gardens and died of um, blood disease, having been bitten by one of the monkeys that the royal family kept in the garden. And Constantine briefly returned to the throne. Constantine was associated with the Asia Minor disaster. He led the campaign from 1920 onwards, was dismissed, replaced by another son of his, George II, in 1922, George II lasted initially only two years because in 1924, Greece established a republic and abolished the monarchy. And George II went into exile and was brought back to Greece after a failed Venezuelist Republican coup in 1935. George II remained on the throne until his death in 1947. But because we are talking about a troubled monarchy, we've got to point out that he had to leave the country in 1940 when it was occupied by the Axis. And when Greece was liberated in 1944, because of his popularity, he was not allowed to return to Greece until a referendum was held a referendum that even Allied observers have said was rigged. But nonetheless, the result was it was orchestrated by the right-wing government and signaled an approval for the king's return. He returned. He died in 1947. He was replaced by King Paul. King Paul ruled from 1947 through his death in 1964 remaining in Greece continuously. And upon his death, he was succeeded by his son, um, King Constantine. Constantine ruled from 1964. And in 1967, he went along with the Greek dictatorship, which was established in April 1967. He then changed his mind, attempted a counter-coup in December of 1967, which was a dismal failure, was forced into exile in December of 1967 and did not return. He was asked not to return after democracy was established in 1974, pending the referendum of 1974. The referendum decided with a 70 to 30% vote to end the monarchy. And Constantine, since then, is the former king and has returned back to Greece on occasions and stays in Greece as a private citizen and not as king or in any other official capacity. It's a long and troubled story. This story of the monarchy has also been extremely divisive, becoming a fault line in Greek politics for much of the 19th and 20th century. How central was this question over the monarchy for Greeks? I think the monarchy was very divisive, but the issue that the division took place was not so much 
whether Greece should be a monarchy or a republic, but the issue was that the monarch became the head and the symbol of the conservative wing of Greek politics. This happened especially with King Constantine, who replaced George II in 1913. Constantine was the opponent of Eleftherios Venizelos. Eleftherios Venizelos was the leader of the liberals, an extremely popular and charismatic figure. The conservative side needed a figurehead that could counter Venizelos's charisma, and they rallied around Constantine. So Constantine was supported by the right, not only as a king, as a monarch, but as a personification of the conservative politics that half of Greece's population espoused. The same thing happened with George, who replaced Constantine. It was a later era. George became the symbol of initially the anti-Benizelist side, as his father had, and then became the symbol of conservative anti-communist politics during the Cold War. So what exactly happened was that by getting involved in politics from the get-go, the monarchy placed itself identified with the conservative wing of Greek politics and inevitably was involved in the divisions between right and left or Venizelists and conservatives in Greek politics. Had the monarchy stayed out of politics or remained above the fray or somehow had stayed more neutral, they would have been much less divisive in Greek politics. But that was not the case. The monarchy historically has been involved in politics and associated with one side of the Greek political divide. As you laid out earlier, in 1974, Greeks overwhelmingly voted in a referendum to abolish the monarchy and decided that Greece should be a republic. How significant was this decision as Greeks looked to not only heal old wounds, but embrace a new democratic future? The referendum on the monarchy was held in December 1974, and it was generally considered the last of several moves that had been made beginning in July 1974, steps that led to the restoration, not only the restoration of democracy after the end of the junta, but an establishment of a truly democratic system, a much more inclusive and equitable democratic system in contrast to what had existed even before the junta in the post-war era. So the end of the monarchy is very closely associated in the minds of Greeks with the restoration of democracy. In that sense, the referendum was not only against the monarchy, but in favor of a democratic, republican form of government. The issue, as we've seen on Twitter over the last days, of the monarchy can still elicit strong reactions. What's the lasting legacy of this former royal family today? The lasting legacy of the royal family, I hate to say it, is an example of you know what not to do as head of state in Greece. The head of state in Greece historically has had some powers. They've been gradually taken away from them precisely because the monarchs got so involved in politics. And, you know, I think that the presidents of the Republic from 1974 onwards have actually conducted themselves in a very statesmanlike way, 
because of precisely the legacy of the head of state being the king in the past getting so involved in politics. I wonder sometimes whether the royal family could, rather than go around using their title such as crown prince, they could maybe acknowledge the damage they had done and in some way contribute to healing divisions in Greek politics. You know, there was 30% in favor of the monarchy in 1974. It's anyone's guess what it is now, but I'd say it's much lower than 30%, given that the younger generations have grown up in the robust Hellenic Republic that was established after 1974. Professor Kitroev, thanks for joining us again. Always great speaking with you. Thank you. In other news, the port of Alexandrupoli is fast becoming a second Suda, a reference to the major Greek and NATO naval base on the island of Crete. Senior U.S. military officials have proposed further deepening and expanding the port with a view to hosting and supplying U.S. Arleigh Burke-class destroyers. These ships play an important role in the U.S. Navy as they carry guided missiles and have expanded electronic warfare capabilities. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Alexandrupoli has proved a reliable alternative to the Bosporus Strait, which Turkey closed after the war started. Since then, thousands of soldiers, tanks, helicopters, and other supplies for U.S. and other NATO forces have been quickly and effectively deployed to Eastern Europe through the port. Finally, Israel and Cyprus said Monday that they have made significant headway in resolving a long-running dispute over an offshore natural gas deposit and say they are committed to quickly reaching a deal. The Cypriot and Israeli energy ministers pledged to press toward a fair and swift resolution. Israel claims that a portion of Cyprus's Aphrodite deposit, estimated to hold 4.4 trillion cubic feet of natural gas, falls inside its nearby Ishai field along the line that separates the two countries' exclusive economic zones. Negotiations have stretched for several years, but Europe's need to wean itself off Russian energy sources appears to have added a new sense of urgency to the talks. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.